So let me just give you like uh, a couple of numbers for why uh, there is growing interest in understanding uh, the health trajectories of uh, migrants. Well, uh, first is the size uh, issue. You know, we have like roughly a billion migrants in the world if we count both international and internal migrants. Uh, in this talk, I'm going to focus on international migration, but a lot of the topics that I'll cover actually do apply also to internal migration, particularly in countries, large countries like China or uh, uh, India. Now, one of the reasons of the growing interest on these topics is that uh, we want to have like a more comprehensive uh, understanding of uh, the impact of immigration, the cost and, uh, and benefits, how immigration affects uh, a receiving country in terms of uh, the impact on the public uh, health uh, uh, system. And in this sense, like uh, in the UK with Carlos, we have, uh, and Katia Nicodemo, we have a broad project looking at uh, the impact of immigration on the NHS. Uh, more generally, there is interest in understanding how assimilation may uh, affect uh, health and whether socioeconomic uh, uh, assimilation and cultural assimilation are acting in the same uh, direction. So we normally expect that given uh, that the existence of a positive socioeconomic gradient in health, years spent uh, uh, in a, a destination country, immigrants by socioeconomically assimilating will also gain more health, but it's less clear whether cultural assimilation will necessarily uh, produce an improvement uh, uh, in health. Actually, there is some evidence that that's not uh, the case at all in countries like the US or Germany, where the average standards in terms of, uh, for instance, eating uh, uh, behaviors or healthy habits is not necessarily better than uh, what is observed in the in the sending uh, uh, in the sending countries, but it's also interesting to understand uh, the source of uh, the dramatic uh, uh, disparities across uh, uh, ethnic uh, groups that you observe in England, in the U.S., and in many other uh, countries. From a methodological point of view, we can also learn a lot from studying uh, uh, immigrants because um, we can basically use immigrants. Uh, as an empirical tool to identify and separate distinguishing the role of like uh, uh, acculturation from the role of context, environmental condition, following what uh, has been like uh, known uh, as the epidemiological approach, which was originally proposed by uh, Marmo and then like uh, recovered in the economic literature by Fernandez Folli and other uh, and other people. So the general idea is that uh, uh, when you look at uh, uh, immigrants and you follow them over a relatively short period of uh, time, you can actually gain a lot of information about the epidemiological transitions that are occurring in the sending uh, uh, countries and that often like take uh, uh, decades. Okay? So the classical example of, uh, of this is Marmo's analysis of Japanese immigrants uh, to the United States. So in 1976 he showed that um, those immigrants who were like uh, uh, exhibiting a stronger uh, adherence uh, to the uh, original Japanese uh, culture at like lower risk of uh, coronary heart diseases. And basically, if you use these uh, numbers to predict what would happen uh, in Japan with the westernization of uh, habits and uh, change in lifestyles, it's actually quite uh, remarkable that uh, uh, recent studies have shown that uh, you know, like the predictions based on Marmo study were not that far from what we actually do observe as of now in Japan, looking at uh, uh, real data uh, from, these, uh, uh, from these countries. So we can really uh, 
look at immigrants also as a way to understand uh, the dynamics uh, that are uh, uh, going uh, uh, on in countries uh, that like went from uh, facing problems such as undernutrition to facing the typical problems of uh, uh, advanced uh, economies. So public health issues associated with uh, urbanization, the diffusion of sedentary habits, uh, uh, the uh, you know, spreading of uh, unhealthy uh, behaviors. Finally, uh, we are interested in uh, understanding uh, the effects also of immigration on uh, the resident cells, or if you want, on uh, uh, natives' uh, uh, health. And there are several channels through which like, immigration and immigrants may affect uh, uh, the health of uh, the uh, incumbent residents in a hosting uh, uh, community. Well, first, uh, uh, as uh, uh, you, know, you all know, like, there is a, a well-developed literature analyzing the effects of immigration on employment uh, and wages, but uh, uh, the effects on the labor market can have also important consequences on uh, uh, the health of the workers. In particular, uh, I show you evidence that uh, as uh, the inflow of uh, uh, a relatively low-skilled uh, uh, population in many, in many advanced economies, most of immigrants are actually uh, coming from uh, uh, the bottom of the education distribution. Uh, what often happens is that uh, they arrive in a country with high endowments of health, relatively lower amount of uh, human and financial capital, and so they have incentives to trade off their bodies for higher lifetime earnings. So they self-select into jobs that have worse conditions, but that compensate for this worse condition with higher wages. And then this can create dynamics through which natives are actually pushed towards better jobs, or jobs involving uh, uh, better working conditions. I'll give you more examples of that uh, uh, later on in the, in the talk. It can affect uh, the variety, the product variety in a given market. So I'll show you some evidence from the restaurant industry uh, in the U.S. where, like, uh, you know, actually immigration brought uh, more variety in uh, disadvantaged neighborhoods uh, uh, where the uh, default option was, you know, basically a McDonald's and uh, pretty much uh, uh, not much else. Uh, it can have also important effects on uh, individual uh, behavior through peer effects. So uh, if... Uh, Immigrants uh, have uh, healthier uh, habits that can constitute like a new reference group for the uh, incumbent resident uh, uh, in a particular uh, in a particular area, and obviously it can also affect healthcare use. Okay, and there are possible crowding out uh, uh, effects. There are possible effects on uh, uh, on waiting uh, on, on waiting times. So the idea is that uh, I'm going to first focus on the, on the first part of this uh, literature, if you want, which tries to understand uh, uh, the health trajectories of, uh, uh, of immigrants, and in particular tries to explain uh, an important fact that is common across uh, several developed economies. So if you look at data from Australia, US, Germany, uh, England, uh, uh, Italy, you always tend to find that immigrants, uh, uh, upon arrival uh, in the destination country, exhibit healthier outcomes. Uh, uh, with respect to several health uh, uh, metrics, but there is a convergence over time. And uh, I will show you some of my work uh, trying to analyze how these patterns uh, reflect uh, you know, the, the, what's happening in terms of their socioeconomic characteristics or behavioral characteristics of uh, uh, the uh, immigrants, so, and how much instead uh, could be simply explained by... Uh, a statistical phenomenon, and the fact that immigrants tend to be uh, uh, selected uh, when they uh, decide uh, to uh, to migrate. 
In particular, I'll show you some evidence from the US and Germany on, the, on this. Uh, and the second part of the talk, I will instead focus on the effects of immigration on the hosting country and on the health of, uh, uh, of uh, the incumbent residents in this uh, uh, hosting country. So I already mentioned like, uh, uh, the two stylized facts that uh, motivated tons of studies analyzing uh, uh, the healthy immigrant uh, uh, effect. It is worth noting that uh, similarly in developing countries such as India and China, we also find that uh, internal migrants tend to be uh, healthy. Okay? Now, a common explanation for uh, uh, these findings is that uh, if you are sick, the cost of migrating are higher and the returns to migration are lower. Okay? You're going to be less productive on the job, so you can anticipate that uh, you know, the investment uh, decision of, uh, uh, of migrating to a different country maybe is not uh, worthy, but also the barriers uh, at migration may be, may be high, in the sense that if you need to cross the border of uh, uh, Mexico, you know, like, and you're sick, uh, you may have like, higher costs, and it may just be more, uh, uh, more, uh, more demanding on, uh, on you, the whole process, also from a stress point uh, of, uh, uh, of view. Why uh, I will focus, uh, and you know, I focus in, in, uh, in a lot of my work on Mexican immigrants. Well, first, we have great data uh, in the US uh, uh, that allow us to uh, follow uh, individuals over time and across uh, uh, generations. But uh, more importantly, this is like the largest immigrant ethnic group uh, uh, in, the, in the US. And uh, um, the, LT, the American version of the healthy immigrant effect is what is uh, uh, known as the Hispanic uh, L paradox, namely, like despite being poorer, despite sharing uh, uh, socioeconomic characteristics that are similar to the one of African Americans uh, uh, in the U.S., Hispanics tend to be much healthier than the average white native. When you look at uh, their health status, uh, their mental health, uh, when you look at their dietary habits or the birth outcomes of the children of first-generation uh, immigrant women, however, despite they assimilate, though not fully, socioeconomically over time and across generations, their health outcomes uh, uh, go down with time and across uh, uh, generations. And again, like this is a classical example in which from studying a particular group uh, in a hosting country like the US, we can learn a lot also about uh, the possible consequences of lifestyle changes that are occurring uh, in Mexico, which is one of the countries that is undergoing major epidemiological uh, uh, transition, which like uh, uh, dramatic uh, shifts in uh, uh, smoking rates, particularly among, uh, uh, among uh, women, and also with uh, uh, you know, emerging public uh, health challenges related to uh, uh, diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and cardiovascular uh, uh, diseases. So uh, in a couple of papers, I focus in particular on birth outcomes, mostly because uh, uh, this allows me to uh, link data for uh, two and a half uh, generation, like uh, uh, in the US. So basically, I'm able to look at uh, first-generation mothers. I have information, uh, individual level information on the birth outcomes of the children of these first-generation mothers, so on the second generation. But I can also link uh, the records of these children to their own children born in the U.S. So I basically birth outcomes for second, third generation. I have some information on the health of the, of the first uh, uh, generation. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of reasons why we, are, uh, we may be interested in focusing on birth outcomes. In the economic uh, uh, literature, uh, many papers have shown that uh, poor health at birth importantly affects 
healthcare costs, but also like adult health outcomes, and has important implication on how well we do in school or on the labor uh, on the labor market. And uh, you know there is large concern, for instance, that uh, uh, the deterioration of the birth outcomes of uh, uh, Hispanics uh, uh, in the U.S. may have important consequences uh, uh, in uh, uh, for local governments, particularly local governments in uh, uh, in areas that are. Uh, characterized by high density of uh, uh, Hispanics. Of course, there may be important consequences also in terms of uh, intergenerational mobility. And, uh, you know, more generally, like, uh, there are interesting uh, uh, questions that you can ask in terms of whether, like, uh, uh, given that we observe a deterioration of uh, uh, birth outcomes as other health outcomes uh, uh, across generation, we may ask ourselves whether acculturation is one of the driving uh, factors behind these uh, statistical uh, uh, facts. And that's why one of the important questions is uh, whether, like, uh, on one side, uh, we observe that uh, uh, acculturation increases uh, socioeconomic outcomes. There is evidence from the economic literature suggesting that that's true, at least. Uh, uh, in the U.S., but it may come, uh, you know, these gains in the in labor market outcomes may come actually at the expense of uh, of health. And ultimately, we want to understand whether, like, uh, uh, these statistical uh, facts that you observe are inevitable, or instead whether there are policies that can uh, affect these uh, uh, processes in a way to sustain the initial advantage that you observe among, uh, in this case, among the children of uh, uh, of immigrants. So. Uh, a lot of uh, my work has focused uh, at first on trying to understand how much of these facts, the initial advantage and the following convergence, could be simply explained by selection and regression towards the means. What do I mean by that? The idea is that, uh, as I explained earlier on, like migrants will select at the uh, time of migration, those who are less healthy won't migrate. But when you select, when you make this decision, you only observe the health that is apparent to you at that moment, okay? So you are not fully able to forecast what is going to happen to your health in a year, two years, three years from now. And as a consequence, you may expect that over time, your health will simply converge to the mean of the population of uh, origin. This is a, a typical statistical uh, problem. Uh, and you, you know, the classical example is that the baseball player that... Uh, uh, it's more bold than average player in a given year, the year after is uh, likely to uh, actually hit less balls than the average players. Okay, just like because you're getting a selected sample and there is a natural convergence uh, uh, towards the uh, mean of the population that you're analyzing uh, over time. So the big question here is like how much of that convergence, the initial advantage of the convergence is explained by selection, and how much instead is uh, explained by behaviors. Why is this important? Well, if it's just a story of selection and regression towards the mean, then there is not much that policymakers can do about it, okay? Rather than, you know, trying to uh, change the criteria of selection uh, uh, and the migration uh, uh, policy when immigrants uh, arrive to the, uh, to the borders. But if, if there is something instead to do with behaviors or with socioeconomic status, well, then... Uh, obviously, there are policies that could uh, help us uh, improving the health of uh, of the of the immigrant uh, uh, population, even like when we look at second and third uh, and third generation. Now, there is tons of evidence in the public health and sociology literature, but um, many of these studies are limited by mostly two things. First, like uh, there is little theoretical investigation of like why people are. Uh, 
selected at migration. Uh, and secondly, uh, for long, like uh, we have been limited by the availability of uh, of data, we mostly uh, work with like cross-sectional uh, surveys, and we were not able to really like actually follow uh, individuals across uh, generation and link uh, individuals across two or more uh, or more generation. Finally, it's very hard to isolate these two chunks, okay, these two potential uh, uh, explanations. So I'm gonna exploit data that come from uh, uh, the uh, long version of uh, birth certificates uh, from these from two states in the US, California and Florida. These are two of the uh, top migration destination states uh, in the uh, in the US. And on this birth certificate uh, you have a lot of information. It can be very helpful if you run uh, for if you want to run for uh, the presidency of the United States because you can like demonstrate that you are actually born in the US, but you also have like uh, uh, information on uh, the uh, you know birth outcomes of the of the child, the birth weight, some information on maternal uh, socioeconomic status like uh, education or where she's living. Okay? So these come from the vital statistics of these two states. They cover all the individuals born between 1970 and uh, 2009 in California and Florida. And I got information on uh, mothers and child's full name that allows me basically to link uh, uh, two generations uh, of, uh, of individuals born uh, in these two states. I have the exact date of birth of mother and uh, child and I have important geographical information. I know the zip code of residence of the mother, where the uh, birth occurred, in which hospital, so I can link then to other contextual uh, variable at that uh, uh, geographical uh, level. So most of my analysis focuses on, uh, on, on this data, but I also show that uh, we find similar uh, trends when we look at uh, natality digital data that cover the entire US, but with lower uh, uh, with, with less uh, detailed information on both the individual level and on the geographical, uh, on the geographical level. So just to give you uh, uh, an idea of, uh, uh, of the data structure, uh, you can think of like uh, a first-generation woman migrating uh, uh, from Mexico to the U.S. in the late 60s, Maria Garcia, and she having like uh, two daughters, Anna and Ada uh, Rodriguez. I will have information on the birth outcomes of these two uh, children. I will have some information about uh, um, the first generation migrant uh, education and where she's living. And then like, uh, I can identify these two uh, girls as sisters, so I'm also able to like, uh, uh, look at uh, um, within family changes in the patterns of uh, assimilation and how these like, affect the air trajectories of, uh, of these two girls. And I'm able, to, using the confidential information on name and date of birth of the mother and the child, to actually link uh, these outcomes, these records, to the records of their own children if these two girls happen to uh, give birth uh, in uh, uh, these two states, California and Florida, before 2009. So obviously like, there are a bunch of issues with like, uh, uh, the, the selection that I address uh, in the paper, and I'm not going to cover in this presentation, but bottom line, we're able to uh, have like records on the birth outcomes of uh, third and second generation Mexican immigrants in the U.S. in two of the top uh, uh, immigration destination uh, uh, states. Okay. So the question is, if, if Anna gets married and her surname changes, you can't yes. cover that. 
Yes, yes. So that's one of the so the 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 second set of results I'll show you, and that's why you have like actually this. Right. <laughs> you see, here we look at intermarriage or the effects of cultural assimilation on on Bertalcan. So basically, I can obviously account for the and control for these things. Yeah. Okay. So basically, what I do uh, mm, first, like to to analyze the Hispanic paradox, is to compare the birth outcomes and the health trajectories of those girls to the um, incumbent resident girls. Okay, so you can think of this like the uh, the, the American uh, American benchmark. Now, if you just look at the row uh, <coughs> difference in terms of like uh, incidence of low birth weight. Uh, this is what you see in this table. So let me just say what I mean by over two. This is like a standard metric of uh, poor health at birth, defined as having like uh, being born with a birth weight below 2,500 grams. Now, in, th in these papers, I usually also uh, show like different metrics. Uh, like when I have information, I look at the APGAR score, which is a more comprehensive uh, metric of fitness at birth, or like uh, uh, you know gestational age and other outcomes. But lower weight is like. Uh, uh, an easy indicator to uh, you know like to 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 describe the the major trajectories that we observe over time when we look at birth outcomes and it's important because uh, just to give you an idea children born like below that threshold so with a birth weight below 2500 grams have a risk of infant mortality which is roughly 10 times higher than those born with a normal birth weight so what you see here is that children of first generation uh, uh, Hispanic uh, uh, mothers, but in this case, like most of the sample is actually uh, uh, comprised by Mexican mothers, uh, have an incidence of low birth weight which is like uh, uh, 0.8 percentage points lower than the one observed among non Hispanic uh, white uh, American uh, women. Okay, now this number looks small, but it's quite large actually if you compare it to the mean of the dependent variable, which is only 5. 0.7%. Okay, so roughly the incidence of low birth weight in the uh, all U.S. population is uh, uh, is 6%. Now, what is interesting is that, however, when you look at the birth outcomes of the third generation, you actually observe that there is almost full convergence to the benchmark uh, observed among the natives. So, birth outcomes are worsening, are deteriorating over time. Now, the question that we uh, want to answer is whether like, this pattern is just explained by selection or there, are also, uh, there is also a role of behaviors and socioeconomic status. So the way we address this question is we basically take country-level differences in the birth weight uh, distribution between uh, uh, the U.S. and Mexico, the major sending uh, uh, country, and based on that, we'll estimate how selected are the immigrants uh, who arrive into the U.S. with respect to the country of origin. Okay, so basically we'll compare the birth weight distribution of Mexican immigrants in the U.S. to the birth weight distribution of Mexicans in Mexico. Okay, and then as I observe like uh, two generations of birth outcomes, we can estimate what would be the predicted uh, trajectory of uh, uh, expected for the third generation if you know the, the, the second generation immigrants would follow the same path you would observe among the natives okay so basically we are just like saying okay we look at two countries we estimate selection by looking at how the distribution of birth weight among immigrants is different from the distribution of birth weight 
among uh, uh, Mexicans. And then we say, okay, given this selection and given the standard, the population uh, uh, intergenerational transmission of L that you observe for the all groups, what would be the expected trajectory uh, that you um, for, for the for the birth outcomes of the third generation? In this way, we are able to sort of like account for what would be just the effect of uh, selection and a standard uh, regression towards the mean of the of the population. What I'll show you is that uh, we don't need much of selection to explain actually a relatively large advantage in terms of birth outcomes when we look at the children of first-generation Mexicans. And I'll show you that, however, it's not just a selection story. Basically, selection, a small selection will be able to explain the initial immigrant advantage, but in order to explain then the convergers, we'll have to look at behaviors. So I'll just show you this with, uh, with a couple of graphs. So basically, this is like uh, the difference in uh, low birth weight of like roughly 0.8 percentage points that I just showed you. And this is like this blue line is the prediction of the model. Okay, so basically, uh, just in like uh, plain words, for any given of uh, level of possible selection that you might have on health at migration, you estimate what would be the uh, expected differences uh, in low birth weight uh, among the birth outcomes of uh, uh, the second generation. So keep in mind that low birth weight is a bad thing, so a negative coefficient is actually a good outcome. What this graph is saying is that the more people are selected, the larger the advantage uh, uh, will be for the population. And here, at this intersection, is like, you know, basically identifying the level of selection that you would need in order to uh, observe the actual differences in low birth weight uh, that we uh, observe when we compare, like, uh, second-generation Mexicans to the birth outcomes of uh, uh, non-Hispanic uh, white uh, natives. So what it tells you is that, you know, you don't need much of selection to actually find uh, a relatively large advantage uh, uh, in terms of, uh, of birth outcomes. However, when you look at, uh, sorry, the, uh, the birth outcomes of the third generation, and again, like, uh, you estimate what would be the expected trajectory. So this is like, the, the blue line is always the line of the model, okay? Let's say that we are able to predict, based on, uh, on the population statistics, what would be the expected convergence if immigrants would converge to the, to the uh, reference uh, group uh, uh, over, uh, over time and across generation. What you observe here is that you would predict even a worse convert. So this is already, sorry, is already accounting for socioeconomic disparities between the two groups. So here, this line is already taking into account for the fact that second-generation Mexicans are assimilating, but not fully. Okay, so there are disparities between uh, them and, uh, and the natives in the U.S., and we are calibrating this model to take into account of the expected uh, effect on, uh, on health, and in particular on the birth outcomes of their children. What this model is telling you is that a story of selection and regression towards the mean would actually, in a way, reverse the paradox, meaning that you would expect the difference in low birth weight to change sign and even to be like higher than what you observe in the data. In other words, you would expect the uh, birth outcomes of third generation to be even worse just because of the socioeconomic characteristics and the statistical process than what we find in the data. So the question then becomes, how can we explain this difference between what you observe and what the model predicts? 
And so far, I only mentioned boring things like statistical uh, uh, selection and regression towards the mean. But if you start accounting for differences in behaviors, then the, the story becomes clearer and maybe more interesting. So here is just like uh, uh, some data from Florida showing you how different it is the incidence of smoking or uh, you know drinking during uh, pregnancy between like uh, uh, Mexican of first and second generation and, uh, and natives. What you see is that uh, practically uh, on uh, when you look at first generation Mexican women, only one percent of them uh, uh, smokes, while uh, roughly like uh, uh, seventeen percent of the uh, of the American white native smokes. So there is a difference of sixteen percentage points. Now this difference uh, diminishes when you look at uh, second generation versus natives. So basically, what happens is that from 1%, um, the, the percentage of uh, second-generation Mexican uh, women smoking increases to 2 percentage points, but it's still much smaller than what you observe in the native uh, uh, population. And you observe similar patterns when you look at other risky behaviors. Now, when you... I'll, I'll just keep these tables that show you the same thing with different parts of the data, but... Basically, when you control for these risk factors and you compare individuals that are similar in terms of their behaviors during uh, pregnancy, what happens is that you get very close to the model uh, uh, prediction. So in other words, what we're saying is that uh, uh, selection explains a lot of what you observe, but not the entire story. And to understand like uh, uh, the, uh, the entire uh, uh, L trajectories, you need to account... Uh, for the role of uh, uh, of, uh, of behaviors and, and socioeconomic uh, and socioeconomic factors, but it is important to recognize the role of uh, of selection because, for instance, in this case, at the end, what we're finding is that uh, the resilience of healthy uh, behaviors among uh, immigrant groups is actually playing uh, an important uh, uh, an important role. Okay. So basically, uh, we show that uh, the puzzle was not really trying to understand uh, why the health of the immigrants was deteriorating, but why it was not deteriorating at the, the pace that standard statistical processes would, uh, would, uh, would suggest. Okay? So basically, it's, uh, this is like uh, a first bottom line of, uh, of our work on, uh, on this, uh, but then, like we went on and tried to understand, like you know, if we can say more about the role of uh, of cultural assimilation. And um, in a different paper, what we do is instead of comparing uh, Mexicans with natives, it's, act it's actually focusing on uh, those two sisters that I showed you earlier on, and looking at how within family differences in their uh, behavioral and socioeconomic uh, assimilation can explain differences in air uh, convergence when we look at the at the third generation. Okay, so in this case we relate uh, to an economic literature that analyzed the economics effect of uh, uh, cultural assimilation, even often using uh, intermarriage as a metric of uh, uh, acculturation. And in this case we want to try to uh, understand whether assimilation can be unhealthy in certain, uh, uh, in certain countries. So we'll do it that by using uh, two main metrics. One is going to be ethnic intermarriage, and the other one, which I won't show you in this uh, uh, presentation, but which like leads to very similar results, 
is whether these two second generation sisters will give like uh, names to their children with a different uh, ethnic content. Okay, so basically we will measure uh, the attachment to uh, the country of origin by uh, looking at whether the, the first name chosen for the third kid was uh, uh, an Hispanic name or like uh, 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 an, American, uh, an American name. And we use like standard uh, metrics that have been previously used uh, in literatures on, uh, on name uh, studies, basically. Okay. One of the reasons to focus on uh, intermarriage is that it's uh, defined by many as the final stage uh, of assimilation, but also in our particular case, uh, since we focus on uh, um, some healthy behaviors such as smoking, there is evidence uh, in the U.S. that the structure of the, of the family uh, is very important, uh, and, and you know, like the... Um, the, 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 the demographics and the, and, the, and the different ethnicity in a family can, can be very important in shaping the adaptation process of uh, uh, minorities in the, in the U.S. So we go back to this, uh, this figure. What we look is uh, we compare the birth outcomes uh, of two cousins, Mary Smith and Maria Martinez. Okay? So what happens is that uh, Ada... Uh, she uh, basically married within her own group to Luis Martinez. She uh, even made uh, the first generation grandma very happy because she named her uh, daughter after her grandma. While instead you have like uh, Hannah who's gonna like marry to John Smith. So no one is gonna be more Americanized than her. <coughs> and we're gonna compare the birth outcomes of uh, uh, Mary Smith with Maria Martinez. Now, obviously marriage and intermarriage is endogenous to many other factors, okay? What is interesting, however, so there may, there may be many other things that affect my decision to marry within or outside the group that could be correlated with that. However, what is going to be very interesting is that we will find that her health outcomes, so the outcomes of, uh, of, the, of Maria Martinez born from a within-ethnicity uh, marriage, will be much better than what we observe about uh, uh, we, we much healthier than uh, the birth outcomes of Mary Smith, despite she being much more likely to be born in a rich uh, county and from like uh, more uh, um, educated uh, educated parents. So this will be one of the most interesting results. So one, the way we look at this is like we compare the birth outcomes of these two cousins, and uh, we we have a dummy for whether like. Uh, uh, so we are focusing on Hispanic uh, uh, women in this case, and we look at the ethnicity of the father, which we measure in different ways. One is like self-reported ethnicity. Alternatively, we use the surname of the father to uh, avoid problems with self-reported uh, ethnicity, and we find very similar uh, results. Now, in this first column, we just show the raw difference. You see that... Uh, Children of uh, non-Hispanic fathers, so if you want of like American natives, non-Hispanic natives, have like a higher incidence of low birth weight. What is interesting is that this remains true even like when in column three we control for sociodemographic characteristics for whether the mother was low birth weight herself. So we use like a birth metric for the second generation, and we include grandmother fixed effects. What, what does that mean? That means that we are basically focusing on those two sisters and just exploiting the variation within two sisters. Okay, so we are not just comparing uh, uh, a woman that intermarried with a, another woman that uh, married within the group, but we are comparing those two sisters in which like one married within the group and the other one married outside, uh, outside the group. Okay, 
So I already said that uh, obviously intermarriage uh, is like uh, not an endogenous, uh, uh, sorry, not an exogenous variable. But what is interesting is that if anything, all the possible confounding factors uh, may actually lead you to think that you you would expect like uh, uh, the the Hispanic woman married to a non-Hispanic man, if anything, to have better birth outcomes because of their uh, on average uh, higher socioeconomic uh, status. However. What you observe is that, uh, again, intermarriage importantly, is importantly associated, which, you know, I'm talking about intermarriage, just think of it as a metric of cultural assimilation, is importantly associated with the incidence of risky behaviors during, uh, uh, during pregnancy. So, as we saw earlier on, there is some uh, uh, worsening of behaviors between uh, first and second generation uh, uh, Hispanics, okay, so there are like... Uh, more, uh, if you look at smoking uh, uh, behavior, in this case, it like uh, uh, it, it increases like from uh, um, 1.36 to like uh, 6.34. These are actually data for the entire US, so they are slightly different from the ones I showed you uh, earlier on. But what you can see is that for any generation, those who are uh, endogamously married have healthier behaviors than those that are exogamously uh, married. So when you again account for uh, um, these like uh, risky uh, uh, risky behaviors, control for smoking in your regression or for uh, for the old risk factor uh, set, so you include also alcohol behavior or um, hypertension, which is a health condition but importantly associated with like uh, uh, diet and uh, um, exercise. What you observe is actually that uh, that coefficient on intermarriage becomes non-significant. So it's, it's basically capturing well the uh, effect of uh, uh, behavioral uh, assimilation. Now this is important uh, because uh, uh, it suggests again that uh, while selection explains a lot of the overall convergence, there are important differences in particular within uh, uh, these groups that respond instead to the uh, different extent of uh, assimilation, in particular with respect to certain uh, behaviors. And this clearly like, uh, uh, leaves room for policy uh, action. So uh, the, the process of, uh, of convergence, the uh, health patterns that you observe are not entirely governed by a statistical process. Uh, there are ways in we can try to sustain uh, the initial healthy uh, immigrant uh, uh, advantage, at least part of it. What is interesting is that uh, if you look at the US, the, uh, for instance, the, 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 the tobacco industry has spent tons of money in trying to make uh, uh, smoking more appealing uh, to the Hispanic community. Uh, this is partly due to the fact that while smoking rates are going down uh, everywhere uh, in the world, even like uh, uh, in uh, Latin America, they are going down at a lower rate in this country, is, and are increasing for certain segments of the population, like uh, uh, like women. So you could think that uh, you know natural implication of the of this study is that you may want to focus uh, uh, and spend more money on anti-smoking uh, uh, campaign, directing these efforts in particular to uh, the Hispanic minorities that are being targeted by uh, the uh, the tobacco industry. And there are also, as I said, important implication for. Uh, <coughs> Uh, for the sending uh, for the sending country. So that's summing up uh, what we uh, what we have uh, seen. Like uh, uh, selection plays an important role, but it's not the only factor. There is room for policy action, and uh, if you look at differences within uh, um, 
a group like uh, the Hispanic group, you see that there are important effects of, uh, of cultural assimilation on, uh, uh, on health outcomes. Now, this healthy immigrant effect, however, has also very important consequences uh, on the receiving uh, uh, community. As I briefly mentioned earlier on, what you may think is that uh, uh, immigrants increase the uh, uh, supply of uh, workers uh, who are relatively healthy but relatively poor and unskilled. This like, is true in many uh, economies, okay, like uh, uh, Germany or the US. And uh, uh, thus, this may create more incentive for them to accept worse working conditions to get like, uh, higher uh, lifetime jobs. There is also like, uh, uh, you know, another explanation of that is that you know, they are usually less proficient uh, in the hosting language, so they have a comparative advantage in self-selecting into uh, manual jobs rather than in communication-intensive uh, jobs. Now, these may, as a, a second-order effect, also imply a reallocation of job and tasks in the population, because basically this increase in the supply is like uh, lowering the wage uh, of uh, uh, manual jobs, but also increasing uh, the demand for uh, tasks that may be more communication intensive and that are complementary in the production function with this manual, uh, uh, this manual job. So previous studies looking at the labor market have shown that uh, there is evidence of complementarity uh, between uh, um, different jobs and that uh, uh, the immigration tends to increase the demand for high-skill uh, jobs and to lead natives to shift towards this kind of jobs. Now, what we uh, haven't investigated that much so far is what are the implications of, uh, of this process for uh, health. You may expect that as many of these uh, manual jobs have higher injury rates and involve higher risk, you may expect that this also has important effect on the, on the health of the population and on the general reallocation of, uh, of risk in a, given, uh, uh, in a given country, in a given labor uh, market. So basically, this... Uh, Study like relates uh, to the literature on effects of immigration, but in particular also to the studies that have shown how uh, working in physically demanding jobs can affect, like uh, um, in the short run, in the long run, your uh, uh, your health. Okay, and uh, in this case we focus in particular on Germany, mostly because uh, we can exploit the German socioeconomic panel that is. Uh, Great, because it allows us to uh, identify very specific occupational categories. We can follow individuals uh, for uh, about 26 uh, uh, years. It oversamples uh, uh, immigrants, and we have different health metrics that we can consider. And what we show in this case is that uh, when we look at the health immigrant effect, uh, something we didn't do in the U.S. Here we can like actually exploit the heterogeneity by occupation. And what you observe is that uh, while there is convergence uh, uh, for all immigrants, the convergence occurs at a faster rate when you focus on immigrants that are working in physically demanding jobs. Okay, so one of the explanations for the healthy immigrant effect is also that you know these individuals are likely to uh, get into very strenuous. Uh, uh, jobs that will affect eventually your health uh, uh, in the medium and, uh, and long run. Uh, but we also look at how then like uh, this may affect uh, uh, the health of the natives through the reallocation of job risk that I discussed uh, earlier on. 
Okay, so let me just go straight to the map. Like, basically, what we're going to do is we're going to compare, like, uh, areas with, like, different uh, immigration rates uh, in Germany, and we look at how immigration affects uh, uh, the likelihood of uh, Germans of working uh, in more physically demanding jobs and their health. And in particular, we, we look at uh, disability, okay? Uh, but first, let me just show you that when we look at uh, the health trajectories by uh, foreign uh, status, so here the dashed red line is the health trajectory of immigrants and we are considering doctor disability, what you observe is that uh, you almost don't observe any convergence in the first 10 years of residence when we look at uh, uh, individuals working in low physically demanding jobs. Again, this is a highly selected sample of individuals, so the rate is practically uh, zero. However, like uh, while the rate is still zero when you look at uh, those who are working in high physically demanding jobs, after a few years it starts converging. Okay, and you observe like uh, a much faster convergence when you focus on uh, uh, on immigrants uh, working in these uh, on these jobs. And similar, this is true when you observe when you compare for similar reason men and women, you observe that the convergence tend to be much faster. Uh, among men who are more likely to work uh, in this uh, physically demanding uh, occupation. And this is true both when we use a, a, a metric of doctor-assessed disability uh, and, uh, uh, you know, similarly when we use, like, instead a self-reported metric of uh, health uh, uh, limitation. Okay, so this is basically uh, what we show uh, at, uh, uh, at first. Let me just skip this stuff and get to the main result, which is instead... In this case, we are going to look at uh, uh, areas with different share of uh, male uh, immigrants, and we're going to look at how that affects uh, the likelihood of Germans in this survey to report doctor assess uh, uh, disability. Now, what you show here in this, uh, so the first three columns use a standard uh, uh, fixed effects model where we basically account for uh, persistent uh, uh, local uh, um, level characteristics uh, at the um, regional level, so we are using these uh, 97 uh, uh, municipal entities uh, in which like German I Germany is, the, is divided, and we exploit basically changes over time uh, in the share of immigrants across uh, these, uh, uh, these areas to identify the effects of immigration on the likelihood of reporting uh, doctor assess uh, disability. In the second set of columns, we instrument the share of immigrants that is obviously endogenous to many uh, economic confounders with uh, a standard uh, instrument, the card IV. Basically, what we do is we use the share of immigrants uh, as of 1996. So we take a, a base year before the beginning of our sample, and then we redistribute all the inflows, the future inflows of immigrants based on their distribution uh, in the base uh, uh, in the base year, what you see is that uh, the effect, if anything, is larger in absolute value when we use the uh, ID estimate. And this basically suggesting that uh, an increase of uh, one percentage point in the share of uh, uh, immigrants uh, living in a given uh, area will decrease uh, the likelihood of reporting disability by almost two percentage points. And again, this is quite a large effect, given that uh, the mean of the dependent variable is around 7.5 percentage points. So we're talking about, you know, around uh, 15 to 20 uh, percent of the, uh, of the mean of the, of the dependent variable. 
Now, how do we explain that effect? What, what we see is that uh, when we look at the effects of immigration on uh, jobs, okay, type of job, we actually don't see much, like the first two coefficients are not significant when you look at uh, uh, how immigration affects the likelihood of a German working in a blue-collar job or average physical burden associated with a given uh, uh, with a given occupation. Basically, we have a matrix uh, of uh, occupation associated to indicators on uh, how physically intensive or how psychologically uh, intensive was a given, uh, uh, a given job. However, what we find is that for those Germans who were previously working in blue-collar jobs, there is a large reduction in the, uh, in the, in the, in the average physical uh, burden in areas where more immigrants come. So basically the effect uh, is coming uh, from uh, uh, individuals that were already working in physically demanding jobs who keep working in those jobs but are moved. Uh, so they, they, it's not that they shift from being blue collars to white collars. They remain blue collars but they shift to like uh, occupations that involve uh, a lower physical uh, uh, burden. What is interesting is that uh, even if you use uh, a cross-sectional analysis for one year in which we have actually an information on perceived physical burden, in this case we can actually even control for occupation fixed effects. So we can look at individuals uh, who are working uh, in the same occupation but in different uh, uh, areas. And what you observe here is that uh, even within the same job you observe uh, uh, an effect of uh, immigration on the perceived uh, physical uh, burden, suggesting that a lot of what is going on is actually going on within jobs that are similar or even the same job you're just like assigned to different, uh, to different tasks basically this is consistent with previous studies that uh, have actually looked uh, uh, you know more like uh, um, qualitatively at uh, firm level uh, uh, analysis and showed that uh, uh, natives Germans tend to be assigned to safer uh, jobs where more immigrants uh, come into the, uh, into the firm so basically in this study we showed uh, a reduced form effect on health, so immigration re improves, reduces the likelihood of reporting uh, uh, doctor disability among Germans, and we explored some of the challenges. Basically, we showed that what happens is that uh, uh, there is some effect on the average physical burden of the blue-collar workers, but there are also improvements when you look at uh, their average number of hours. They tend to work uh, uh, less, and for instance, they are less likely to work nightly shifts. That can also have important implication for uh, uh, workers' health. And when we uh, consider this working condition, the working condition we can observe, we're able to explain uh, uh, about a fifth of the effect on health. Why we cannot explain more? Well, mostly because of what I mentioned earlier on. Basically, we, we are using a metric of physical burden for the entire panel that is associated with a given job, but actually the evidence that we have from some of the years of the survey is that, and from previous studies, is that a lot happens within the same job. So this is a variation that we don't have, we cannot uh, 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 exploit, and it's likely uh, to explain why uh, you're not able to explain more than 20% uh, when using just variation across occupations. Okay. So what is... Uh, uh, interesting is that these results are consistent with uh, uh, the prediction of one of the uh, most uh, uh, important like uh, health economics uh, uh, papers by uh, Grossman in 1972. He was basically looking at uh, the incentives of uh, 
uh, low-skilled uh, workers to self-select into uh, given uh, uh, occupations. We basically extended this model to look at uh, uh, um, immigrants and, uh, you know, starting from uh, uh, the, the fact that immigrants tend to be healthier than, uh, uh, than natives. And what we can show is that our results are consistent with a story in which, like, uh, immigrants uh, come, they have high endowments of health, relatively low endowments of other uh, factors. Therefore, they trade off health for uh, uh, money. This implies a reallocation of uh, jobs. That is basically what, like, uh, previous uh, papers have shown to happen in the labor market. But we show that this has important consequences on uh, on the health of the uh, of the population. You need to tell me how much time I have left. You have two minutes. Okay, 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 okay. Well, uh, this is just showing that the same path that you observe in Germany, you, you observe it in uh, in the U.S. Uh, for instance, in this case, we look at like the likelihood of working nightly shifts. And you see that immigration tends to reduce the likelihood of uh, Americans of working uh, nightly uh, shifts. This again happens because immigrants tend to uh, uh, be more present in these uh, jobs. One of the explanations being that working at night uh, uh, reduces uh, uh, the, the, you know, like the, 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 the amount of uh, uh, English that you have to uh, use in your, uh, on your job. We, we find similar statistics also in Italy. Let me just briefly summarize uh, the results of another work that I conducted in the U.S. looking at how immigration may affect product variety and health. Here what we did is like we basically used the same data uh, I described at the beginning, the birth outcomes data. But here we look at uh, the same mother across pregnancies. We look at her weight gain. And what we do is we merge data um, uh, the birth records data with uh, time series data on all the restaurants, supermarkets, uh, uh, basically all the information on the food environment surrounding uh, the residence of the mother uh, uh, across different years. So we are able to follow the mother from pregnancy one to pregnancy two if she had like two children and to look at how changes in the environment between these two pregnancies affected their health. Now the idea that we exploit here is that immigration may affect the demand for uh, uh, food, uh, uh, for, for certain type of foods, and in particular in low-income uh, neighborhoods, uh, it may increase the availability of uh, what uh, we usually call uh, fast casual res restaurants or like uh, ethnic uh, restaurants that provide a relatively low-cost alternative uh, uh, to fast food, okay? So there are several reasons to uh, focus on, uh, I'm going to skip like this, but basically it relate, this study is very much related to the literature on consumer gains from variety. We focus on, uh, in particular, on Mexican restaurants for two reasons. First, there is evidence that they are uh, less likely to offer the, um, sorry, more likely to offer non-fried carbohydrates and fruit and vegetables on their, uh, on their menu. And more generally, there is, you know, the, the view that uh, the Mexican diet and cuisine, at least the traditional ones before the epidemiological transition, are relatively healthy and based on non-processed uh, uh, items, okay? So basically, I'm not like, this is like one of the advertisements of Chipotle, which is the example of fast casual restaurants in the U.S. I'm not thinking burrito like will change uh, health trajectories or the health of future population, but there is some truth in the fact that Mexican food is fresh on maize and based on non-processed products. So basically what we do, we use this data, and we look at what happens when uh, uh, 
in a neighborhood where the mother was living, so think of it like a mother having two children, and at the first pregnancy, she didn't have anything other than probably a fast food. Suddenly, a Mexican restaurant opens up. Basically, we are talking about uh, the opening of a restaurant within a radius of uh, uh, half a mile from uh, her uh, uh, residential address. What we see is that, interesting, there is some evidence of uh, a negative effect on the likelihood of gaining excessive weight. So basically, it's reducing the likelihood of... Uh, uh, of mothers to potentially gain more than uh, 20 kilograms, which is uh, uh, usually um, which is used in the literature as, as the fine uh, uh, excessive weight gain. What is interesting is that these results are largest when we look at uh, uh, minorities, disadvantaged groups like uh, uh, low-skilled mothers, African Americans, and young uh, uh, and young mothers, and are larger also among uh, uh, mothers who have uh, already had. Uh, more children, so mothers that may be more constrained with their uh, use of time and therefore more likely to rely on uh, um, outside uh, eating, uh, eating option. So basically, and to conclude this talk, uh, we saw that uh, uh, across many advanced uh, economies, uh, immigrants tend to be healthier than natives. Uh, we uh, show that health selectivity is clearly an important uh, factor behind the healthy immigrant effect, but that uh, this process is mediated by both socioeconomic characteristics and, uh, uh, and behaviors, and thus there is a role for uh, policy action on those uh, uh, dimensions. But the health immigrant effect has also very important implications for the hosting uh, economy and for the health of uh, the incumbent resident in a given country. For instance, we have looked at uh, the reallocation of uh, tasks, but also, uh, you know, the, the, the market, the product variety may affect, like, uh, uh, the access to healthy option in a neighborhood and therefore, as a consequence, the health of, uh, uh, of, uh, of the residents. Now, this is like uh, uh, really a growing uh, uh, research uh, uh, niche, so I think there will be more and more uh, interest in migration and uh, health, and I think we are still very much at the, uh, at the beginning. Thank you very much.